0: Okay, we're doing it. Okay. This is Robert Eggers. Uh, this is
1: Ari Aster. And, uh, yeah, we're doing the A24 podcast, which is cool. We're doing it together. Yeah, which um, feels appropriate, given that we're both f- friends. Totally. Who, and, who uh seem to like each other's work. And the same stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, we have a goal, which is we're trying to orient this uh, discussion around the work of... Ingmar Bergman. We probably won't succeed, but we're gonna give it a shot.
1: Yeah. I I thought I thought you were joking when you first suggested it, but I'm excited to dive in. I know that we're both devotees. You can probably see it in our work. Feels appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. We met a couple of years ago. I was doing like a it wasn't really a friends and family screening of hereditary. It was but it was like the because I Well, I think there were friends and family of A24, but I didn't know anybody there. Yeah, A24 asked me to go to a screening of something that I didn't know anything about, except for that it was a horror movie. I think it was the first of those that we had done, and the room, you know, like, did not seem to love it. And I remember going up in front of the... uh, Going up in front of everyone who had just seen the film, like, very, like, stern faces that were, like, ready to cut me down to size. And, And you and your wife, Allie... Uh, were sitting like near the front, and you gave me like two thumbs up and you had a very warm smile on your face and it like i I like <laughs> held on to that as my lifeline as people in the room proceeded to explain to me that you know i I was a bastard and i, <laughs> and, I and i you know I made a a worthless movie
0: yeah, well, you did not i mean I was totally blown away I, especially because I had no expectations and and yeah. uh and it was fantastic and it was really i mean it was so smart and truly inspiring to me and <clears throat> i was really uh the uh, like the some of the craft of the camera work i didn't even perceive because i was so impressed with the breadcrumbs that you were laying with the with the screenplay and uh, anyway it was a real joy and uh i had the great pleasure of seeing uh, the, or a finished version of Midsommar last night. And, uh, and it was great. It was great. I also, I mean, I also saw like an earlier version and I, you know, I don't know what you cut, but I felt like the film
1: was was tighter and had way more shit in it. Yeah, you know that when you like finish something, when the music's there and the color, it does just feel so yeah, much more substantial. For sure, for sure. It's really excellent. And so now to try to shoehorn Wait, wait, hold oh. hold that. I just need to like I cannot like receive a compliment without like reciprocating um when when I have one to give because I so I have not seen the finished version of The Lighthouse, but I did see a cut that was nearly finished. Uh and I I I have the feeling that you would never show a cut to anybody that isn't nearly finished. Um <laughs> I I I love The Lighthouse and I'm so excited to see uh what it is now that it's Done, but what I saw felt finished. Um, well, thank you. F- like it's so beautiful, uh, so beautifully done, and really funny. I know I've said this before, and you've uh, had kind of an inscrutable expression. So I don't know if this like if this f- feels right to you, but it really made me think of Harold Pinter, who I love, and I I I mean I can't really think of any other work that feels like Harold Pinter besides. <laughs> You know, I mean, like, what else plays, like, The Servant or, you know, No Man's Land or, like, you know, The Homecoming? And um, and this felt to me a, a total, like, spiritual sibling. And and even though it reminds me of Harold Pinter, it also, it reminds me of nothing else, including Harold Pinter. It just feels, it just feels, like, totally unique. I'm, y- yeah, it's like. Okay, it's like, okay, okay. It, well, thank you, anyway, thank you. That's really Harold nice. Pinter by way of. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 that's way too kind. By way of and, Bellatar, and, and,
0: I would say. Pretty incredible. Well, thank you, thank you. That that's like far too kind. All right, I'm I'm on this Bergman mission. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> so everyone has close-ups. Like Bergman doesn't own close-ups, but there's something less in some of the center framed things in the latter portion of uh, Midsummer. But the earliest stuff with Danny gave a sort of Bergmany vibe to me, and I know that just because the movie takes place in Sweden, I feel like people talk about Bergman in relation to Midsomar in a way that maybe is, like, inappropriate. Uh, f- you know, Tarkovsky, Sacrifice, people would always say that it's Bergman-esque, which would really piss him off because he said this has nothing to do with Bergman films. Except All for the- Sven well, shooting Well, yeah, it's like, it's like if it, you, right. you have Bergman's entire crew like, yeah. designing and shooting the <laughs> yeah, film...
1: Y- is, and ...is in and, the yeah. film,
0: yeah, yeah, it's going to... Feel a little Bergmany, right?
1: Yeah. I uh, mean, we've talked a lot about Bergman before. He's a you know a hero of mine. I I love his films. I was thinking a lot more about his work when I was making *Hereditary*, particularly uh, *Cries and Whispers*, and I showed the crew *Autumn Sonata* because mm-hmm. of the mother-daughter parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody shoots close-ups like him. I definitely, when when we were making *Hereditary* again, I made my cinematographer Pavel Pogorzelski, who's also one of my best friends. Uh, I made him watch *Persona*, just because I think those are like the most beautiful close-ups I've ever seen in a mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. And I, I I feel like there is this. It's I'm not sure if it's like a recent trend, but I'm I'm seeing filmmakers like really clearly chasing the Bergman close-up. Even if you look at like P.T. Anderson, who. Mm-hmm loved to talk early in his career about how he was like kind of chasing the Jonathan Demi close up, mm-hmm. you know, in the mm-hmm. way those look, especially s- starting with The Master, um that he's he's moving kind of like away from Demi and Scorsese and yeah. Altman towards especially Bergman in in the way he frames close ups and yeah. you know obviously Kubrick too. But I yeah, there is this like the box quality, right, where you you give just enough <laughs> Yeah, you know headroom, and and you typically like bring the camera like two or three inches below the nose,
0: and it's and and you and shooting in like two to one is that is a nice compromise for getting scope and still getting really healthy uh, close ups where you're not like chopping people's like head pieces pieces of their of their heads off. So you it was it's nice to see.
1: I I, I love two to one. I I know that we Pavel and I. Chose two to one for *Hereditary* because it was like Douglas Sirk's like, yeah. favorite um, aspect ratio, or, or like you know his his chosen aspect mm-hmm. ratio. And you know we were making you know this domestic movie set in a house, and yeah, it, it feels it feels right. It's, it's like weird. how do you get the height, like you know the width, but also like some of the height. But when you're indoors, like that can box you in. And then I I was kind of surprised that we landed on that for *Midsommar* because we. You know, we said, like, let's try something else, and then we just... It's, I mean, on paper, 2 to 1 for Midsomar seems, like,
0: uh, perfect. Like, I could see <clears throat> something box... Like, like, 166, even, for Hereditary.
1: Well, you um, went with Academy, right, for...
0: Uh, we went with 166 for The Witch. Uh, we didn't want to go... So boxy as Academy, but we wanted, we did want more height for for trees and we did want something boxier for the interiors. And of course, so that film we shot on Alexa, and because for Anamorphic, because the sensor is 4.3 and we were using these like old lenses, we were actually got more of the like lens characteristic. That was really cool and something that then for the lighthouse shooting on 35 millimeter and, and even stupider aspect ratio <laughs> we were able to take advantage of. Um, so, like, going going back to this the close-ups, it's really fascinating to, to see uh, the progression that I'll actually start with Virgin Spring, which is the first Sven Yeah, the first Sven yeah. And to see in the, the Faith Trilogy and the early, like, series the work on trying to capture naturalistic lighting, and I feel like shame... Sort of is the most realistically lit uh, of all of the of the Nickvis Bergman collaborations. Then to come out on the other end uh, with the super super flat color lighting that yeah. like two for certainly for my own films I would never ever ever in a million years want to emulate. Who knows? But right now like that seems like so far away from uh, what I'm doing. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because it's obviously they were trying to like over Bergman's career and and their collaboration looking for simplicity great and also uh lighting that on these people you could capture like every emotion any change of of color uh flesh color in the cheek you could you could get it with this kind of lighting and what's also really interesting is that in some parts of Fanny and Alexander it's weirdly atmospheric even though actually has no fucking atmosphere if you know what I'm saying so I know I know I know uh, my curmudgeon lead DP, uh, Jaron Blaschke, sort of bothers him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, um, I see what you're saying. Especially, yeah, I, I, I guess shame would be the most naturalistic, although I guess like Passion of Anna is like the color version of the that. The color version of that, yeah. Yeah, which is, it's like pretty drab. Yeah. Um, and then I definitely see what you mean about the flatness of like, for instance... Uh, his T V work, like scenes from a marriage. And, but even
0: yeah. even it's even um like even Cries and Whispers is pretty flat. I mean I know that I, there's like think about like all the like the fill and the night interiors. Like he's certainly never like he's never like trying he's not saying this is a match, or, right. or Hour of the Wolf's a better example, right? Even though this, the lighting's a little more stylized in Hour of the Wolf. But, like, this is a match, and I'm going to have a lamp set up to, like, try to emulate, like, what this lamp light or this match light, fire light, is doing on someone's face. Like, it's lit theatrically and it was, yeah. with some fill, and there is some shadow, but I'm not worried about the practical light
1: source would be the light source. No, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I don't know if, like, he would argue, you know, kind of blurring the line between a dream and reality. That, For sure, that that might just be convenient.
0: I mean, certainly in *Cries and Whispers*, it, it actually it maybe helps, you know. Well, and
1: also, also <laughs> like those those red rooms, the flatness of the lighting is really serving the film. Well, you certainly um, wouldn't experience the rooms as red if it were if it were had yeah. more chiaroscuro. <laughs> yeah, and the well, and you'd have a lot more, you know, contrast in the reds. Exactly. But, but there is something about just like that, like fire truck red. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, That's just so powerful. And also, like,
0: just, just, like, shows his uh, background in the the theater. Yeah. Yeah, so, like... for listeners who may not know, like Bergman, like one of his, uh, his final masterpiece or whatever, Fannie and Alexander, he, he said he was retiring from making films and he retired from making films that were supposed to be released theatrically, but he still yeah. made a
1: lot of TV movies and TV plays. Even though Fannie and Alexander was also made for TV. And it's probably my, despite it being a TV movie, it's probably my favorite film. <laughs> it, yeah, it's amazing. It's got his, like, trademark brutality. He's got the, uh, the 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 monologue that like seems to make its way into almost every Bergman film where like a man like positions a woman in front of a mirror and just like dress her and apart. just dresses her down. Yeah.
0: But but it also it's I think it's the one Bergman movie where the comedy like holds up today. All the like fifties comedies and like the one or two early sixties comedies, I just want to, I can't stand them. I, yeah. I don't like Smiles of a Summer Night even.
1: I like it. It's 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 good farce. It's it's not my favorite, but it it works as farce. But yeah, no, Fanny and Alexander, you've got fart jokes. Yeah, uh, and they're and mixed they're in with the you know the yeah the drama of.
0: Um, okay, so life and I death. I th- I think like the A twenty four gods are not smiling on us for being maybe like
1: too obscure. What, what... I feel like we could get more obscure.
0: Oh, we could, but like you know. Uh... <laughs> 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 um, Uh, let's see. Uh, But yeah, it's cool. I mean, to also think about, what about uh, Tarkovsky's influence on Bergman?
1: (coughs) Well, Tarkovsky's influence on Bergman. I mean, I know that the two loved each other. I wonder if, um, I wonder if seeing Andrei Rublev, like, did anything? Yeah, I to, mean, uh, to for, inform like Bergman's cha- because Bergman changed so he changed much in the so sixties, like from through a glass darkly, which is also I guess while he was location scouting for that film, I, he like he found Fora, which is mm-hmm. you know the island that he spent the rest of his life on. Yeah, I I wonder if like there's some something about Fora that like changed his outlook. He even made these like two documentaries about Fora that plays sort of like a Michael Apted like up up series contribution yeah yeah um and so he like became obsessed with this place anyway we are probably moving into like obscure territory but well um, but
0: i will like i just like there is a couple like from my understanding he saw ivan's childhood and that began to get him to uh try to create cinema as dream in a way i mean not that he hadn't done that before but he felt like that was a key for him and then there's a story about him and sven niekvist watching Andrei Rublev at like 1 a.m. with no subtitles, just like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. And I just love that image, you know? But, but uh, yeah, okay. And then
1: Tarkovsky kind of abandoned like the style of those two films, which I, I actually, I mean, Andrei Rublev for me is definitely like the peak. I mean, the yeah. staging of the bell-making stuff is just, anytime you
0: watch it, you can't believe it. Talk about not having a sophomore slump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like holy cow! It's so impressive. So, um, what about everyone's least favorite topic? Certainly mine. Uh, genre. Uh, our films and genre. Like, uh, like I feel like *Cries and Whispers* is way scarier than any horror film, uh, and and *An Hour of the Wolf* is not. As scary as *Cries and Whispers*, <laughs> even though that's the the closest thing Bergman made to a horror film in most people's minds. *Cries and Whispers* or the *Life of yeah. Marionettes*, or it's
1: also like him like desperately packing like everything he like took from Freud and like just like be- <laughs> being as literal as yeah. as one could possibly be. Yeah, but but like
0: like what about genre and I, look? I mean, I like I think. Hereditary
1: is a horror movie.
0: Like I don't for, oh, yeah, for, no, for people who not, feel like it's not like I get why. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I actually don't get why. I like I, <laughs> I, I I I um. I mean, it is like absolutely unabashedly a horror film. Like that was the goal, and I feel like I I I was like misquoted like crazy on. I mean, I'd rather like just never speak ever and just like release the movie. Sure, but of you course. have to do the press. Yeah. I, it's just a minefield because you just say something kind of flippantly and then it becomes like your statement on the film. But no, like, like the Wizard of Oz for perverts. Yeah, which I was like drunk and you know. I mean, I, <laughs> I I'm I'm fine with it, but yeah. I but I I wouldn't want it to be you know like my on the cover like, of the Blu-ray. I hereby designate Midsummer, <laughs> right. the Wizard of Oz for perverts. That's the that that yeah. was not my intention, but like it was the first thing I said, and right. like now it's you know the last word. But I think I said something about like you know it's a. It's a family tragedy that, like, becomes, like, a nightmare. And the fact that I, like, wasn't actually using the word horror, it, it somehow the omission became, like, a statement. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's a horror movie, of course. Like, that, that that's what I wanted to do. There, there are people, like, crawling on walls, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. And then, you know, Midsommar is maybe something else?
1: I don't know. I mean... It's horror adjacent, I feel like, yeah, I feel like sure. an asshole even saying the word adjacent. <laughs> I see it as a fairy tale um, mm-hmm. more than anything, especially be- because of just like her trajectory, like mm-hmm. her arc. Uh, if anything, I think like the trick of the movie or like what I was, what I kind of got excited about doing was like for everybody else, like for every other visitor in that film, including her boyfriend, like it's a folk horror movie. Like without any shame or without any like pretensions to something else, it's a folk horror movie. But for her, it's like this perverse wish fulfillment fantasy that, like you know, is just ultimately a fairy tale. Where like this community could be seen as a uh, you know they. I I want them to be read at least on Mm -hmm. first viewing before you kind of get a sense of what this thing really is. Like that they're like this real place with like a real history and like rich traditions, but you know i can't watch the film anymore without seeing them like as strictly manifestations of danny's like will
0: and it's cool the this version the finished version you know or maybe it's also just watching it again because as we all know watching films multiple times is important uh to really understanding them it it felt so much more from danny's perspective partially and some of the like visual effects treatment to things, but even just in the editing choices. That at least that's how I experienced it the second time. And and and, and everything you're saying, like where everything you just said, really resonated with my experience of watching it the second time last night. Nice, um, that's great. So it was it was pretty sick. By the way, did you ever uh, watch any of those like? 70s uh english tv folk horror like mr james things that i
1: sent you oh my god i didn't oh it's okay oh fuck no i I was really excited (laughs) about it but you sent it to me exactly at the time where like where you were done i was neglecting everything that anybody sent me and i understand and i like you know just burned like every bridge in my life that's fine except for with the people who know what it's like to make a movie and like you know just kind of yeah you're gonna be and it's fine before we move on i want to know like you know what what genre you'd like place the witch in but i'm really interested to know like how you might categorize the lighthouse
0: yeah i would again i completely understand why people don't see the witch as a horror movie that it was certainly my attempt to make a horror movie (laughs) uh so i saw it as that even though certainly like the family drama is more important i mean like, you see a witch flying on a broomstick. I mean, maybe that's yeah. not scary, but, like, that's certainly... It's awesome. You it's know, really... a horror trope or whatever <laughs> it should be, uh, even if it wasn't successfully so. But for my money, that was horror. And The the Lighthouse, if I've had to, like, designate a genre, it would be the literary genre of a, of a weird tale, like M.R. James right. Blackwood, Lovecraft. But it is... Something else, even than that, but that would sort of be. You even have the octopus, right? Exactly for Lovecraft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But 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 it certainly was just something, an idea that I had that got out of control, and my brother and I wrote it and had and had fun. But I think um, it's also funny how the different ways in which tours of a certain caliber like will or won't talk about genre or say their film is genre or like laughs off the idea of genre being important and even more interestingly is where people who are sort of sophisticated filmmakers feel that like horror genre whatever that means to them is like not something that one could consider art that can like really talk about what it means to be a human being but is rather just some sort of cheap uh, commercial thing, <clears throat> but obviously, these horror stories, things like Hereditary, that actually do like probe uh, the darker side of humanity in like a serious way, like that's incredibly important.
1: Yeah, and and should be respected, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, there was at least like a five year period in my adolescence uh, where like horror movies were like the only thing. I I had this like binder. This three-ring binder that I just kept, uh, I I kept adding, like badly photocopied, like black and white, because that's all I had, because we had a black and white printer, um, images from the internet from horror movies. So it was just like, I like drew a lot, and so I guess like that's that was the point. It was a weird, I guess I have like a collector's thing where I just never actually went through this thing, but I just kept adding to it. Um, <laughs> so it awesome. was like this compulsive. Do you still have it? Hobby. I'm sure it's somewhere. I mean, it would take. I mean, it's going to be in some box, right, like right, right. somewhere in my in my family's home. Um, I, I'd be
0: curious to see how, how much of your primal narrative uh, began there. <laughs> the, you know, like like everyone makes the same movie or writes the same book or paints the same painting over and over and over again.
1: I think what it was too is that there were films that really, really affected me and scared me. I was really impressionable as a kid. And there were a few films that I just, like, I saw them too young, um, right. didn't know how to process them. Like, I was clearly, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I made associations, like, subconsciously that, like, you know, like, that then, you know, like, enhanced everything. Like, Carrie, mm-hmm. really, really, um, De Palma's film, mm-hmm. really destroyed me. I wasn't able to watch it again until, like, my 20s. And, and then I, I realized, like, it's, like, a really sad comedy. But right. <laughs> but it's... No, it's,
0: but as a, for a kid, I mean, it's...
1: It really like I could not get the image of Piper Laurie like chasing Sissy Spacek around this like candlelit house like out of my head. She's got this like horrible smile, uh, and she's you know holding a knife and like that that just like has like come back to me in so mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, just like still, still I'll have like a nightmare about that. Um, and that and that sort of like
0: weird tone of that film that's like unrealistic almost kind of unprofessional yeah. and like, like
1: sen- and sentimental with the Pino DiNaggio score y- yeah it's like this for this a, weird for, a, for a
0: kid i can see that being like very disturbing especially cuz it's like it's so dissonant with like the sort of disney spielberg like thing that is supposed to be yeah. normal
1: movie viewing <laughs> you know absolutely and it is it is that artifice and that like there's like a romance mm-hmm. to it that's really upsetting and then i i talked about it this so much on like the press tour for hereditary that i like you know kind of i don't want to talk about it again but if we're talking about things that affected us like cook the thief his wife and her lover saw that too young that like really bothered me in like a deep deep way and uh i remember there was a uh like a kid's cartoon 30 minutes long called the snowman but like i don't know what that is i think it's like a kid like a a girl or a, a little boy that like get on a snowman's, like, back and, like, fly through the world. I, I, I can't remember even what the story was, but I, I just remember that it, like, bugged me. Wow. Um, so I, it's hard to... It's a, I know that there's something about, like, the maudlin when combined with something... I don't know, like, the maudlin and the grotesque when they kind of meet. As a kid, I, like, couldn't process that. Yeah. And there's also just, like, a mean-spiritedness to certain films that, like, really bugged me as a kid, and then I kind of became obsessed with, like, that tradition. Like... I, I saw blue velvet and like clockwork orange when I was just very young and I hated them, mm-hmm. but then i like i like became obsessed and I couldn't stop talking about it and then they obviously became like you know some of my favorite films. I still like you know blue velvet there's nothing original about like loving blue velvet, but it is it I is mean, just it it is just <laughs> the greatest thing yeah. ever like ever I mean, I don't know if you had this experience, but certainly like the things I h- hated when I first encountered them because they felt kind of evil or just like like just off and those are the things that kind of I kept returning to and they became obsessions and fascinations and then I mean I don't know what I do in my own work because I'm like too close to it my nose is like certainly like right up against this movie I I I have no objectivity but I I imagine that there's you know that I'm I can see myself like kind of still wrestling with what it is that fascinates me about narratives like that what about you I mean uh, I mean, like just you know, like what, what got to you as a kid? Like what? Uh, and yeah, what, what were your early influences? Like what were the films that you like first? Like, I, I certainly, I certainly wrote a lot of scripts like as a teenager that like were extremely derivative of like one or two things. Sure. That I just, like, right, right. Wanted, right. like wished that I had made. Like, I'm, I wonder if that's other people's experience of like, when you first start making things like, I mean, I think we're all, we're all off.
0: derivative in the beginning. And it was, I, I remember seeing some picasso exhibit in my 20s being really happy to see that after his sort of academic what we would call photorealistic period that then he was just painting like any other impressionist before yeah. he became i mean but better yeah <laughs> but but it was just like what everyone else is doing and then and then he be- became himself I actually, even The Witch, to me, feels, like, derivative. Like, I, it's, you know, like, I feel like it wears its influences on its sleeve much more than The Lighthouse. Like, I think you can identify influences in The Lighthouse, uh, for sure. Uh, but I feel like, it collectively, it sort of, I think I'm starting to... Become myself a little more, which hopefully I'll continue to do. But yeah, I mean, whatever. From Mary Poppins to like Conan the Barbarian, like in Ridley Scott's Legend. I I don't know, and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all that crap. I think the the first movie that wasn't a movie that would be easy to access that was very influential, which I've also talked about plenty, is Nosferatu. Yeah, I I saw an image of Max Shrek in a book about vampires in the elementary school library. And at that time, especially in like rural New Hampshire, like it wasn't, you couldn't just, you know, whatever. So we had to like go to the video store 45 minutes away and order it and then wait for it to come in the mail and whatever. And I wore that VHS out. But it's funny because as a kid I could watch shit that I think is boring today just being intrigued by what are adults up to? Like, yeah. like, like, like I, I do have a fondness for Merchant Ivory films, but... I but, definitely but, do. Yeah, yeah, but, like, the bad, like, the boring ones, like, even as a kid, like, if my parents would be watching that she I'd be like, oh, man, the Bostonians. Like, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't... I Maurice. had no idea what was going on, but you yeah. would just... But it was just, like, interesting to watch grown-up people doing weird things. <clears throat> but um, I don't know. And and to bring it back to, like, I, I mean, to, to Bergman, I, like... Seven Seal, I watched pretty young, and certainly now, like, it seems like a crappy high school play. A little, like, not to be, I mean, that's
1: going way too far, yeah. but you know what I mean. No, it's it's definitely like it belongs to his, like, early period, like, Big extremely literal, like, extremely, yeah. like, there's, there's like a broadness to it that, yeah, that the, kind of, you know, but it, it's, broadness it, it's, it's also is, incredible. It's I also mean.
0: incredible. I mean, so well written. But, I mean, Max von Sydow's chainmail is, like, a sweater painted <laughs> silver. It's, like, you know. I mean, but I know the, the budget was very low, and uh, and it, it certainly works. Speaking of, of Lynch, it struck me the other day that, like, Robert... This could not be true, but that Robert Blake's Mystery Man, who's, like, one of the scariest things in cinema to me, like, in Lost Highway, yeah. like, couldn't have existed without death. Death, yeah. That kind of struck me recently. Uh, and um yeah i could be wrong uh, so <coughs> even like, the pale yeah
1: the pale face the pale the... face
0: but even and also but just like there is a certain kind of grimace that death makes the sort of taunting foncido's character that you know robert blake in his just robert blakiness yeah <laughs> the stretched grimace is just
1: oh, it's so scary anyway what um, about what about i i want to ask you what is it that kind of like first drew you to like esoterica because clearly like, you have this real fascination with bygone eras, and, like, I mean, you, you love... You're clearly, like, a person who loves creating worlds, but you also really love, like, recreating worlds.
0: Yeah, for some reason, I was really always into costumes, and I used to wear costumes, like, to school. I used to ask for costumes for Christmas presents. I don't know, like, where that comes from, but I just... I That was something that was always... Really interesting to me, and so then like books about fashion history. Like I, I know that I know that my my grandmother who who died would would did some costume design for like community theater and like university ballet. So she had some like books. Uh, when I was, like, super little, like, four and stuff that ha- that were, like, lushly illustrated that I-, I still have, like, one of them that I, like, drew all over. Like, it'd be, like, someone's, like, f- you know, just, like, a bust of somebody and I would, like, drew with markers their legs, like, really shitty, like, you know, what is, like, six, four, wh- or whatever. And then my grandfather collected antiques and he knew a lot about them and so that became a, a germ of something. So, and then when we would go on, like, family trips to, like, li- like... Colonial Williamsburg and Plymouth Plantation, things that a lot of people thought maybe were boring. I fucking loved it. You know, I was like, yeah, like, I want to be a blacksmith. Uh, This is great. And I love talking to the um, living history nerds. Like, I thought it was the coolest thing. And then there was another, this is like a sort of uh, gross story, but my dad taught uh, at the University of New Hampshire and there was a art show by this Latvian immigrant Hyman Bloom and he he was like a New England painter who had this retrospective that was like really amazing and he had all these like hellish imagery uh, of like demons and astral planes and stuff like these a huge scale, you know, and I thought it was, and and my dad met him, my parents got along with, he and his wife, and he would come over a lot, and I was just enamored of this artist, because at the time, I wanted to be a visual artist, and and he he was like, uh, a very wizardly person in my eye, but he was very gentle, and I would talk to him about comic books, and Star Wars and stuff, and he was like, down to hear it, but he gave me two books of, uh, one that was like, only Durer and one that was like Martin Schoengauer and other Northern Renaissance people. And he was like, if you you can draw this, you can draw anything. And I kind of threw my comic books away, like uh, uh, metaphorically anyway. And I kind of abandoned being interested in Pop culture things mostly at that point. Then I st- I would still kind of like occasionally you know go I was like obligatorily see the, like Christopher Nolan Batman movies like into my early twenties and, and eventually I mean they're they're great for what they're you know and Nolan's it's just great and yeah whatever. but you know uh, you know I had the taste of a fucking dilettante since I <laughs> was a little kid I don't know what to say it's kind of it's like saying all that makes me want to vomit but it is the case,
1: yeah. No, I mean, I've 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 been to your apartment. I don't think it's where you're living now, mm-hmm. but I saw your little, you know, like punishment room where you just like f- filled with books. Like, I I definitely noticed a lot of like first editions in there, and it definitely felt like you know the a room that belonged to somebody who like you know has spent his life going into like used bookstores looking for you know out of print books, um, which I recognize because that you know I I'm I'm not that far away from. <laughs> Being that person myself. Um.
0: Well, that's why we get along, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Bergman liked to work with the same crew and he liked to work with the same like troop of actors. And I'm, I think, I think many, most filmmakers wish that they had that, that they had that core group. Of actors that, that that they were working with so closely to get these incredible performances, and you know, and often like next Max, one, Cidao
1: is is typically or miss. pretty great. Yeah, and well, Hannah, but, but, Hannah and her sisters, that that's pretty.
0: That's incredible. I'm just yeah. saying, but well, okay. The only misses are like when he's like chewing the scenery and like. Conan or Flash Gordon, right? But yeah, obviously that's what he needs to be doing. But it's not the same work that he's doing with.
1: You kind of know if he's in a Hollywood film, like it's like, oh, this guy has a, a supporting role. He's right. he's gonna be the bad guy, like, right? Exactly. He well, did it.
0: He he might have an accent, so he's obviously gonna be yeah bad guy. He, yeah. That's not English. Uh. So um. So working on your second film. How much were you able to bring on crew from Hereditary? How much did you want to talk talk about that?
1: Yeah, uh, well, so Pavel, my DP, and I have been working together since uh grad school, since we since AFI. Um, and he's just one of my best friends, and we have a you know this great shorthand, and we just like share the same taste and see things in a very like in the same way, and we argue like. Very, you know, very little, um, mm-hmm. very infrequently, and then, and I, I would say, like, when there is a misunderstanding, like, we take it like very badly, like, on set. If if it turns out that we thought we understood each other, but like, we had different ideas, like, we get like upset and like need a minute. Um, he and I have this total shorthand, and and uh, you know, he's he's uh, just I I love the guy. And I'm very grateful for that relationship in my life, uh, not just professionally, but he's also just like, you know, a beautiful person. Um, and then, you know, I had a really incredible time on Hereditary with my production designer and costume designer, and uh, and that was Grace Yun and Olga Mill. Um,
0: I've worked with Olga Mill, by the way, on like short films when I was like in the dregs of the New York indie garbage pail. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's I
1: risen. I loved it. And uh you know, the only reason that I didn't work with them on Midsummer for instance is is because uh Midsommar was a project that I got uh started I guess almost 5 years ago and we we had a Swedish production designer named Henrik Svensson um, who who was on from the beginning. He did an incredible job. And he and I kind of had this dialogue going for you know, 4 years. Um, and, uh, and he was building this, like, really, I mean, giant lookbook, you know, and he'd, and he'd send it to me, and it was filled with, you know, references, and I would then, like, kind of, like, remove certain references that weren't working for me, and then I'd, I'd add my own, and then that would provoke him to add more, and then he'd send that to me, and then I'd add more and take out some. And, I mean, this thing, like, is, like, you know, 300 pages. Um, and that was really great because once we dove into pre-production, we had no time. Like we had to build this entire village in just over two months. It was it was really big, and we could have only done it in Hungary. So he did an amazing job. I think I think yeah. he almost lost his mind just from you know the pressure of it, and and so did I. By the way, I mean like the water was always like just up to my nose. On, on this film, there were there were times on set that I had to just like walk to a corner and like cry, um, which I probably like shouldn't admit. But I, I, <laughs> I uh, like there were crew people who were probably e- like you know who, who either like caught it and saw that like the director was crying in the corner, or that or I maybe looked like I was like laughing maniacally. Like, <laughs> either way, it's uh. it's probably like a troubling sight. Um, so that was a really great collaboration and um, I'm really proud of his work, and then uh, we worked with a Hungarian costume designer, uh, again, because we needed somebody local, named Andrea Fleisch, who is really, uh, or Andrea Fleisch, I'm, I'm used to calling her Andrea, uh, but uh, really, really, I mean, brilliant woman, like so, so good at what she does, and I mean, the reason I, that I uh, actually like hired her, um and it was kind of immediate was because she did uh Peter Greenaway's Toll Slooper Suitcases uh-huh. <laughs> uh, or, or the Toll Slooper Suitcase but like you know a, i think a couple like a couple of them cuz i think there are i don't know how many volumes yeah. there are right. um and it's not necessarily a film that uh or a video piece i don't, I don't know what, what you would call the Toll Slooper Suitcase. i don't I, I
0: don't know <laughs> yeah have,
1: have you seen it no. it's, it's I, but i've
0: been reading about like all of his antics
1: it's like, like hilariously difficult. Yeah. Um, it's like a return to what he was doing in the beginning with like the falls, right, right. Um, but like even more inaccessible. Anyway, um, I know that he's probably a very like, br- brutal person to work with, and uh, it, and so I, I was impressed that she like made it through. Uh, you know, it. Yeah, a yeah, greenaway. Yeah. <laughs> a greenaway. <laughs> yeah. Run. And uh, and so she was incredible, and you know we we did as much as we could with the time and the budget. Like we we definitely had ideas for the costumes that like you know kind of just like ne- were were ne- they were they never they all, actually were they came to fruition. like um like
0: like certainly uh, there's like was it all Scandinavian or was there some Slavic influence in in the in the clothing of the villagers. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean there was definitely like Slavic influence. Yeah, I th- um I th-
0: and I also thought I like saw like an like an embroidered Elizabethan coif. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: it's it's a a stew. Like yeah, we yeah. I it's a, it's a yeah. I think
0: it's a very successful like mélange. Like it it comes together as something that looks like uniform and, and its own thing. But I was just I was just yeah, we, I thought I saw these.
1: Oh no, you definitely yeah. did. There are things that we pulled from, you know, like Russia, from certainly from Scandinavia. And and Andrea would be able to like expound expound yeah, much yeah. further. But, you know, it was very important to us that like every costume had like like different runes incorporated yeah. because mm-hmm. like these costumes like belong to these people. Right, and right. like and they they have adopted runes that like represent them, and and then beyond that, we uh, there was a Swedish consultant on the film, uh, uh, yeah, Mart- sure. Martin Karlqvist, who I you know is just like the best guy ever, and he he sort of invented this. Uh, this language called the Affect language.
0: That, that's the aspiration stuff. Or, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: yeah, it's like the emotional sheet music, right? Ah, which, right. Is, uh, which is which um, is a combination of like the runic alphabet and then like all all of these emotional hieroglyphs that you know are kind of made up, but also drawn from several sources. And uh, I mean, even like every pair of shoes ha- you know has like has its own thing going on. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we went as far as we could in the time we had, like to prepare. And, I think it was know, very we've... successful, particularly
0: the clothing for well, for me. Like you know, the clothing particularly like really uh, belonged.
1: Oh well, thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm really proud of her work. I and she's just like such a sweet person, and her her crew was like so great. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess that's my kind of. Long-winded, meandering answer as to like you know who like who I've worked with on these last two films in those departments. I mean, in in post production, I've worked with Luke Johnson um, for both films. Yeah. Um, he was the He's ass-
0: such a nice guy.
1: The nicest guy, yeah. so smart. He was the assistant editor on *Hereditary*, uh, and I was working with Jen Lame, who's also just one of my favorite people and yeah. you know at this point one of my best friends. Um, uh, but I yeah uh, so. Um, Jen Lame is is like you know one of my favorite favorite people, and she's actually now working on Christopher Nolan's new film. So she's oh, like she's moving fast. But the but Luke was so so uh, was such a big part of editing um Hereditary that we like we you know we just gave him an editor credit, mm-hmm. um, and then you know I would have. Uh, done Midsommar with both him, him and Jen again, but Jen was busy, yeah. Uh, and so I just pulled on Luke, and and uh, and he's somebody that I will keep working with as well. Like he's he's definitely on the team at this point. Awesome. How about you? Um,
0: I had the great fortune to be able to work with virtually all my, I mean, are all my keys all uh, from from The Witch. Uh, on the lighthouse. The thing is, I developed two larger studio movies that like didn't happen, <laughs> and so when the lighthouse became an option, and and we were shooting in Canada again, um, it was very easy to uh, get the gang back, uh, and uh, so we we had an, an, also had an accelerated prep period, and we never could have built that world uh, without working with Craig Lathrop and and Linda Muir again, because we have the right language and the the right working relationship already. And it's spectacular work. Jaron Blaschke, uh, the, the, the DP, we worked together on all of my short films that aren't embarrassing. And I worked with him as a production designer on other directors things. And yeah, that shorthand and Yada yada, but he's—I mean—he's incredible. He's an artist. I don't use that word to describe very many people, and and also—I mean—and it's a real collaboration. I mean, the my films are uh, if and when they are praised for like the cinematic language, it's it's a, it would not be that way without Jaron. I'm not—I uh, think you are like this, but I'm not like Scorsese, sort of dictating like this is every shot. And uh, like, and and so, please carry it out. Like, it, it we are uh, working on trying to find the the, the most like essential simplest language uh, for each scene. And uh, and Louise Ford, uh, the editor, also I, I she I've been I've known her for basically as long as as Jaron, and, and we have the same tight knit relationship. And I must say that the edit and the color correct were the only parts of making the lighthouse that weren't fucking miserable and yeah. incredibly difficult and like same for me same here like everything was so hard yeah. about the lighthouse but the edit was a joy not that Lou and I didn't ever work cut out for us but it was like quite quite pleasant
1: <laughs> yeah i i'm with you on that and i and and before we move on from that i also uh want to mention um Lars Knudsen my producer, who uh, I met on *Hereditary*, that was definitely—you know—like I, I could not have made it through this film without him. And, and he and I just started a, a production company, and I really love the guy. He's like—he's just uh, a total enabler. Um, yeah, and, Lars, Lars is incredible. I, I worked, and with you him worked with him on *The, witch. On the witch. I'm
0: witch*. I'm going to be working with him in in the future. I mean, also, I mean, *The Lighthouse*. Uh, if we're like, going in this direction, which we should be, RT Features and New Regency and A24 gave me, like, incredible uh, uh, freedom. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe I made that movie. It's kind of nuts. So, thanks, guys.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it, it feels a little sycophantic talking about A24 on the A24 podcast. Yeah. But they, but they are incredible. And I... I Not I, that they're I, always yeah. perfect. No, I mean... Do you... I'm going to tell the
0: the Satanic Temple story.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, do it. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Do, yeah.
0: So... We didn't have any stars for the witch. A twenty four felt they needed something special for marketing, and they wanted to have the Satanic Temple endorse the film. And I don't, I don't have anything against the Satanic Temple, like or their political agenda or anything like that at, at all. But I didn't want the movie endorsed by the Satanic Temple. Like I wouldn't want it being endorsed by something that called itself like you know Christ's Temple either. And uh, and I have I mean I have very I have tons of personal philosophical like semi spiritual re- re- reasons for not wanting this, and I and and also I said you know people are going to think I'm a fucking Satanist. Not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> uh, but but they did it anyway, and uh, I hope it helped. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when I went to scout a, a film that was not made I, I, in Poland. The woman who was like running the film office said, We don't want Robert Eggers coming to Poland because he's a Satanist. Oh. And did you not know this part yeah. of it? No, I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. And so we had to spend like a week like convincing them that I wasn't a Satanist uh, before I could go scout in Poland. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's only fair that you should be able to speak speak out about it now here on their podcast no, yes exactly um, and so we'll see if they keep this in the podcast that'll yes we'll see that's uh
0: but other but <laughs> but, but 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 really but they're very you know they're, they're great and they're collaborative and no they're
1: they're great and look like when I left AFI in 2010 like there was nothing like this like I didn't know how I was gonna make the films I wanted to make because yeah. like I didn't see the platform for it, um, it was just like you know I wanted to make films that were not like achievable for like you know like one million dollars or like you know like a very very tight like you know people sitting in rooms talking like budget. And the fact that I was able to make Hereditary as my first feature, like still I find staggering, a- and and I'm so grateful for it. I recognize like how fortunate I was to be able to do it in that way. Um, and the reason I you know it took me ten years to make a film and the reason or i guess 8 years after after uh AFI, and you know the reason for I fried that is because i was i was very stubborn i i did not want to do it um it's for, very important yeah it's very important and and i'm i'm glad i did you know i'm glad i did wait but yeah man it's it's uh, I, I i i will say that that you know A24 going like wide with a film like The Witch or going wide with with a film like Midsommar tickles me that it's happening um because yeah. there are people who are, who are going to walk into Midsommar that like maybe would would certainly like, never watch it, and I'm sure they'll regret watching it. But
0: but there are going to be you know. But, but on the other hand, there's going to be some um, some high school students who that's going to be their the first uh, not like weird movie they've seen, and that's yeah. going to be amazing for them. Yeah. You know because that like uh, I had to cut off email contact because of like creepy, occult people, unfortunately. But in the beginning, I, I made myself available, uh, and it was amazing amazing to get emails like like from like high school students who saw The Witch and didn't know you could do something like that with movies. Yeah, uh, and that was super like super gratifying.
1: That's the other side of like the you know like the D cinema score. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: That's the other side where of it.
1: people walk out and they're like, that wasn't scary. That was you know like that was boring and bullshit. You know. Yeah. But but you're gonna and, and God bless them. Yeah, God bless him. You know it may. Maybe it'll like stick with them for like you know another day or two, and at least like kind of like bother them, <laughs> yeah bother them and so finally,
0: like sorry listeners, this is clearly my drum that I'm beating, like what if we can if we can make it succinct, like what about Bergman is so darn great?
1: I mean, I don't know like a better like writer, certainly of like monologues and dialogue for and sure, somebody who like is able to just create the most like vivid interpersonal like dynamics in mm-hmm. in film and I think especially like from like 1961 on i, I can't think of anybody whose work is more devastating mm-hmm. um just as far as like character studies are, are are concerned and you know there's like an economy to his like visual language that uh, I mean I mean you know you could put a lot of that on his his collaboration with Sven Nykvist, but even like when he was making films with Gunnar Fischer, like it's there for sure. You know, like and, and so I, I mean, if anything, I mean, it's,
0: it, it's it, like it's there in the seventh seal.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, it, it is.
0: You know, it's sawdust and tinsel. I mean,
1: it it it's there from the beginning. Yeah. It's absolutely and and I would say you know for me, like that's a useful like tether to like hold on to as a filmmaker. Is like you know these films are so artful, so beautiful, like so impressive. Uh, on a technical um, level, and they so rarely like go beyond what's necessary. Like he, he's able to be like you know perfectly indulgent, and also to like just eschew the extraneous. Like,
0: and 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 something that I find sorry to cut you off, but something that I find so inspiring, though I'm certainly not capable of it yet, uh, is that the indulgent shots like aren't experienced as in, indulgent often. Yeah, the opening of the silence. Yeah, is one of the train. It's the- so incredible how it shifts perspectives and and uh, and it's and it's quite complicated, but you don't, you're unaware of it. And and I feel like when I like watch John Ford or or Hitchcock, like John Ford, I'm like, yeah, that's how, you, that's where you should put a camera. Good, good. That's where you should put a camera. Good, yeah, yeah. And like Hitchcock, it's like that's where you should put a camera, but that's a little surprise. Yeah. But. Bergman, it's always like, like, uh, like why? Like, yeah, wow. He put the camera there, but that is the perfect place. I would never yeah. think that that's exactly where you're supposed to put it, but that's the place. And again, it's unassuming. It's yeah. not. You're not like ass- a- assaulted by, like, the panache of yeah. the of the filmmaker. And it
1: feels instinctive. It, it's you know, so instinctive. It, yeah. It, it feels totally instinctive. And I think there's something to be said also about. You know I mean. People love to like deify these filmmakers and, you know, say like they came up with this and like nobody had done anything like this before. But I think there's something to be said about filmmakers being in dialogue with other filmmakers. And just as you mentioned, that, you know, uh Bergman and and Nick you know, watched Tarkovsky's, right. you know, early films and like were just blown away and it changed their way of making films. And and, and Andre
0: Rublev gets all the credit for kitchen sink, like medieval uh, worlds, but like obviously, the Seven Samurai did that. Uh, yeah, you know, ab- way
1: earlier. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and even with the Silence, you can see like, oh, when did the Silence come out? Oh, it came out a year after last year at Marion Bad. You know, yeah, and, for and it's, sure. It's yeah. a film set in this hotel that looks nothing like anything Bergman had done before, right. And looks everything like what what he did <laughs> sure afterwards. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I I know that for for me, my film school was just. Watching films I loved, and then like kind of digging in and to see what are the films that those filmmakers were watching. Same, yeah. What what are the films that impacted those filmmakers? And it's a rabbit hole that just like never ends. Um, How much do you rewatch movies? A lot. I I rewatch movies a lot to you know kind of like. To the detriment of you know, uh, uh, to the exclusion of like you know watching films for the first time, right? And yeah.
0: So, no, uh, I mean, like, have you? I've like, I've ruined some films that I've studied and taken so many notes that I can't like, I've like, they're yeah. I've just ruined. the joy is gone. The, of jo- the joy is gone. Yeah.
1: But then, but, but you know, you kind of, I, I think there's like, there was certainly a period where I was just like copying and 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 um and then you get to a point where you've done like enough trial and error that like there's something in your system and you kind of have like. A foundation and then you can well, kind of go off from there but...
0: yeah it, you keep you're like you're like you're watching so much stuff and you're like well okay like everything's an idea yeah you know what I, you know what i mean you're like you're like, like well that was an idea and that was an idea but like i you know that's not my script that's their script and and so i'm just we're just gonna try to do it like all that like i think uh beck <laughs> remember beck yeah ha- had a quote that was something to the effect of like no matter how much i try to like shape w- one of my albums like all that i'm uh, with uh, as far as like influences i'm only left with what's inside of myself yeah you know and and i think as you become as you continue to become yourself more as a, as someone who creates work like that sense of self emerges more you yeah. know and and so and so even at, at if you're studying something for staging or lighting or whatever like it becomes Less of like, I need to do that, and less of more like, oh yeah, like that's how I'm thinking about like my own ideas.
1: I, 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 yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, well, being I think I, I could have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm being told that it's time to wrap it up. I, I could keep this going for yeah, a long same, time. Same here. I it, it, it feels like we're just getting warmed up. Um, well, you should come over soon. Hang out with the baby. I'd love to. <laughs> I, I, I want to see Houston again. Okay. Um, well, this this was great. There's nobody I would have you know rather done this with. Same and, here. And uh, I'm I'm so excited for people to see. Uh, the Lighthouse, which I think is a great film with a capital G. Thanks, man. You know, and,
0: and see it some are see, see it a second and a third and a fourth time, and take notes. <laughs> destroy it.
1: <laughs> yeah, take it down. <laughs> um, all right, great. For Thank your you.
0: no, I mean destroy it for the better. For you know, for your film students, for to better your own filmmaking. Not like right. Not saying like take down an Ari's movie. It's fucking great.
1: But you know, hey, like you know, it's a free country. <laughs>